This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome everyone into the show. This is the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor for saltcityhoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Ben Dowsett over here on the other side, associate editor for saltcityhoops.com, as well as basketball insiders, writer, and KSL I don't content, know, producer. content producer, and just a man of many names. Many journalistic ambitions and pursuits. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, we have less than 48 hours until the trade deadline, so there's a ton to talk about. And as a result, we've kind of blown out this show. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, to discuss. There's so much. This is such a big time in Jazzland because it really does indicate where the Jazz are heading with the future of the franchise. So like I said, less than 48 hours away. As always, this is a social show. So uh, you can feel free to call in to our number at 877-353-0700. If Twitter's more your speed, you can always hit us up at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. And uh, we'll read your tweets on air, respond to them, and, and kind of make you part of the show a little bit. But because the trade deadline's less than two days away, we, we're going to focus on that. So this entire first segment is going to be what the Jazz's trade situation is, is going to be. Uh, Ennis Cantor's trade demand, of course, is, is a big topic of discussion. That's happened since our last show. We'll be talking about that. Uh, Trey Burke may have some trade value, and then there's some other trade possibilities around the Jazz. I also want to say that what we'll be doing in our second hour today, which I'm pretty excited about, we're going to be playing GM with uh, seven different writers from around the league. So the idea is that there have been about seven teams that have been rumored as interested in Ennis Cantor, both from my sources and the sources of, of other writers around the NBA. Uh, so we're going to play GM with them a little bit and talk to them about what their teams would accept in return for Ennis Cantor, uh, you know, what they'd want to give up, what and see if we can make a deal, play a little bit of matchmaker. Sound good, Ben? I hope all those guys understand that I am taking their word as law as if they are <laughs> the general managers of those teams. Correct, yeah. You know, Once we get an acceptance from those writers, uh, then yes, we yeah, will be submitting it. it to the Jazz Front office. And, and Well, actually, the NBA League office. Let's, let's just get the deal done. Let's yeah, go exactly. straight to the top. Yeah. Uh, just so you've got the names associated with those writers, we've got uh, Dave King, John Hamm, Blake Murphy, Dakota Schmidt, Andy Liu, James Hamm, uh, and one other one who's not on my list right now, but I promise he, he's around. <laughs> uh, anyway, so let, let's talk about this Ennis Cantor thing for a little bit because, uh, I mean, I, I, I consider myself a fairly plugged-in guy in terms of what's going on in the jazz situation, and, and so I, I kind of want to share with all of you what's, what's really happening because there are a lot of conflicting reports out there, and, and I think I've got the, the true tale the true tale. Well, let's hear it, Andy. I'm interested to hear this too because you're plugged. In. I'm not as plugged in as you. I'm interested to hear this. Okay, so I, I, I mean, I feel like first of all, I, I want to refute that report earlier that uh, came out yesterday that the Jazz are looking for an amazing deal in order to, or amazing offers, I believe was the terminology used uh, in order to trade Ennis Cantor. That's simply not the case. Um, they're they are absolutely taking, willing to take a reasonable offer for Ennis Cantor. Um, because he wants a trade, because he hasn't put up positive production on the floor yet, um, he's still a negative plus minus wise. If you look at it that way, his defense is less useful than his offense. Um, 
I guess his defense is more bad than his offense is good. Is is the right way to put that? Would you? Is there any chance that this is a bit of a you know uh, one person's view of reasonable is another person's view of an amazing offer because people view the the pieces potentially differently? Yes and no. Um, I mean, I I think. I, I still think from like a completely objective point of view, not even, you know, considering my jazz fan tendencies, I still think the jazz are looking for reasonable offers, maybe good offers. Sure. You know, they don't, they don't want to make their team worse, but if just to dump Ennis Cantor, it's not worth it. He's going to be a free agent in the summer that it doesn't make any sense to do. Yeah. But if they can do something that helps the long-term future of the franchise, which I know is the most boring term in sports radio, um, you know, then, then they'll do it. But that being said, they're not looking for something amazing over the top. It's not, for example, like the Suns and the Goran Dragic situation apparently is, where they're looking for a future all-star plus some picks. Which, like, by that's... the way, I think is a little ridiculous coming from Phoenix, if you, if you ask me, because the, the guy is, can be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year if you want. I think that becomes maybe slightly more reasonable if you get an agreement where Dragic agrees to, to, sign his, to take his player option for next year, so you guarantee the, this year and next year of him. Anyway, that's... I think that's a little ridiculous, personally. No, uh, I agree. What do you think about Max Ur- I, I'm sorry, I might pronounce this wrong. Is it was a soft G or a hard G? I'm not sure. Okay, I'm calling him Urgle for now <laughs> because it, I don't know, it works better in my head, but I'm probably wrong about that. It's probably the other way because of that. Well, he came out earlier in the week on 1280 and had some, and basically had his reaction to, to the Cantor thing from the, which was, I believe, the night, it was the next day, right? The right. Day. What did you? I have my thoughts. I want to hear yours as well. What did you think of his, of that? And overall, what have you thought of what you've known of Urgel? Yeah, I mean, it, it was an exper- an inexperienced agent move, right? Like no other agent is going out there on the local radio station and talking about their player's offer. I mean, we didn't see that from Andy Miller with Alec Burks' situation. We didn't see that from Mark Bartlestein with Gordon Hayward's situation. I mean, and and I'm sure this is more desperate, but it's not like, again, Carl Malone's agent went on sports radio 15 years ago to talk about Carl Malone's latest deal mm-hmm. and, and him wanting out the, the five times that he did. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think it's an inexperienced agent move to say yes to that, first of all, just kind of from a meta point of view. Yeah. Second of all, from what was said, it's clear that Max wants to direct his client somewhere else. You know, he's not happy with his playing time in Utah. And, and I think the most unfortunate part is still holds the sins of the past of the organization, and in particular Ty Corbin, against the current jazz management when the front office has turned over in the last two years, the coach has turned over in the last one year. I I don't think that's necessarily fair, and and I think personnel he showed a little bit of turned over too. Sorry, right? No, you're yeah. right. The the players involved have, have turned over as well. You know, the Jazz got rid of Al Jefferson and Ennis Can- or Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap to give Ennis Cantor playing time. Yeah. So you know, I I think that ultimately the gripes are over overestimated, and and I don't think that it's fair for Max to say those things live. You know, I, I wasn't a fan. I don't think it was a smart move. Now. Okay, and first of all, uh, I've been corrected on the pronunciation. It is Air Ghoul. Thank you to Clint Peterson for that on Thank Twitter. You. I appreciate that. And my, my question is, do you feel as though this is – you talked about kind of Air Ghoul trying to drive the process a bit for his player a little bit here. And I, I, I think that was a really apt description, everything you just did, I, I, everything you just said. I, I really agree with pretty much all of that. And to go – to take it a step further, allowing your player to say something like that himself – when especially when this is your only client this is you know this isn't some mass agency that's got you know 50 players on it or something like right. that a reminder to everyone that Ennis Cantor is Max Ergold's 
only client in the world. He, I think he maybe has one other Turkish guy in the in somewhere in Europe or something like that, but that is it. Those are his only clients. And to let, for me at least, to let your client say something like that after a game in the unprofessional way that he did, I'm not a big fan of that either. And I, yeah, but that I mean that was a calibrated move. That wasn't that wasn't Max. You know, letting Ennis run free, that was Max has been complaining to the Jazz front office for literally years now about these sort of things. Demanding a trade behind the scenes, as Jody Genesee reported. Mm-hmm. And then finally it comes out public in, you know, on, on the last date possible, on the last game before the trade deadline. Yeah. What I was trying to get at there, though, is my question is, and, and another report from Jody earlier today, that basically the, the Cantor and Ergul were asking for basically double what the Jazz were offering this past year right. over before the what would have avoided restricted free agency for Ennis do you feel as though Ennis has proper representation here because I'm I'm (laughs) just really not sure uh, like is he the best agent in the world no but is he like chronically negligent I don't think so either I mean, it's hard to be an agent, right? Like, uh, uh, explain to me what oh. Max has done that's chronically no, negligible. Uh, no, I and I, I was—I meant to preface this all, and I apologize that I didn't. You know, I'm not an agent. I'm not in the room when these guys have the conversations. I can't speak to every level of his professionalism. I have no clue. But based on the things that we've heard, and I just keep coming back to, like, I think certain of these things, honestly, are slightly more understandable if you're an agent that's got— 30 clients sure. and you you know you can't you have to juggle them to some point you're there when they need you of course but you you know and the and the to me the fact and this is something i complained about publicly on twitter during his during his interview was that it doesn't seem to me like this guy is as in tune with what Ennis Cantor is doing on the court as he should be and to me when you've got again one client who is your whole payday like Max Ergol's payday relates 100% to what Ennis Cantor gets in this next contract of his and you don't even know necessarily the stuff that's going on on the court with him? Right. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a good look. And you're right that he misquoted the minute amount from last year and I believe this year as well. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's not brilliant. But, you know, I, I don't think that ultimately he's done anything wrong for his client in the long-term picture. I mean, that'll be determined next summer, right, in terms of how much money he gets. Because You, you don't think the, the behind-the-scenes haranguing for if that's true, which, you know, I trust Jody when he says yeah, things like I that? I mean, <sighs> agents do that all the time. Oh, they do, but So, di- and more more importantly, I don't think the agent part of the conversation is the most important part of the conversation, Fair. right? Like this is this is way inside basketball, if you will. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think the more interesting part of the conversation is what are the Jazz looking for? What are they doing in order to get rid of Ennis Cantor and and, you know, or or keep him if they want to and what that what that's decision like cuz yeah. you're right that like Max plays into this a little bit but the big move was when Ennis Cantor publicly went out and and demanded a trade and that would have wouldn't have changed no matter how, who his agent was. That's very true, and I, I I can definitely appreciate that point of view. Real quick, before we look at a couple of other potential, because there are other players on the Jazz, and there are other possible potential moves at least, we have a tweet from uh, from Riley O'Brien saying, curious what you guys think fan reaction will be towards Cantor if he's still in the Jazz uniform come Friday. Which to me, that's, an in- that's actually an yeah, interesting Yeah, I think question. he's booed. I mean, Jazz fans have been so harsh to anybody who has the appearance of, of not wanting to be here, even if that wasn't even the case. I mean, we saw that with Derek Fisher, right? Like, yeah. Derek Fisher had literally the best public excuse for wanting to leave Utah ever. His yeah, daughter's infant daughter was sick, yeah. and Jazz fans booed. Like, if you 
demand that you're you should be traded because you know you think you should be playing eight minutes more per game. Yeah, I think that's doing that. It. That's gonna make the fans angry. Yeah, it is. True. So do you, do yeah, you, to answer you, Riley's question, yeah, there, I think fans are booing. I don't think there's any question. Do you do you start him or do you put Gobert right into the starting line? I'd start him, but I'd start him. You know, a month ago. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't think that this necessarily changes that. Okay. Okay, so let me get into what's actually happening here. So, um, I, Jazz are making offers, which I think is something that they're is kind of they, it's not something they usually do. Okay, so usually the Jazz are kind of a conservative front office, right? They kind of sit back, see what's out there, make the right sort of deals, make kind of these long term long term steward kind of deals, rather than going out and making kind of the alternative is Daryl Morey's front office, who's mm-hmm. making trade calls like literally every day of the NBA season, annoying teams to the point where they almost give up to Daryl's wanton that, demands. I love that that's a viable strategy. There's like the it four-year-old is. who kicks and screams until somebody notices. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I mean, Daryl Morey's used it to some success. I mean, oh, yeah. Kevin Pritchard did it in Portland as well, especially around draft time. I mean, just making a lot of trades that incrementally make your team a little bit better until you can put it all together for a James Harden kind of deal. Yep. Um, the Jazz are not that. The Jazz are a patient front office that makes to, wants to make one or two correct moves, uh, big moves that will determine their franchise's future. So we saw the Darren Williams move. We saw the, you know, the great drafting that the Jazz had in the first 20 years of moving to Utah. You know, those sort of things. They want to make the correct decisions on the big picture things. And kind of leave the small picture kind of bargaining, you know, maybe maybe let teams come to them a little bit. Okay. Since Ennis' trade talks, or I guess trade demand, I, I don't even want to say it's a trade demand, but he has asked to be traded. Wishes. So trade wishes. We can say okay. it like that. They have been making those phone calls, which is a difference. They have been making offers, which is a difference. So okay. And just so wanted to how say rare, that. How rare would you say that is based on your experience? I mean, look, they, they make some phone calls every trade deadline, but I don't think they regularly canvass the league like this. You know, yeah. this didn't happen last season. And remember, this is a new front office in some sense. Dennis Lindsay's only been here for two and a half years. Uh, and also an extenuating circumstance, I think. Right. Yeah, I, it is. Um, but just traditionally, this is the Jazz operating a little bit differently than they normally do. Yeah, definitely. Um, there are still a lot of different situations on the table, so it, it is pretty fluid. Uh, you know, they've, as a result of making these trade calls and getting these trade calls, and honestly, the media attention from when a player demands a trade, they have a lot of things on the table that they could potentially do. Um, and in fact, we'll talk to some of the teams later, or some of the writers from some of the teams about some of those possibilities in the 8 o'clock hour. Um, so all in all, nothing's that close yet out of any of those possibilities, but there's still a lot on the table that they haven't said no to yet, I and, guess, if that makes sense. And still a lot of time. And but still a lot of time. It's early. The next two days are the ones where stuff really starts to happen. Right. So that's the thing is since they have so much on the table, ultimately it could work out. Now, I was... I, my estimate for how likely a deal is is about 50-50. Um, Vegas tends to agree with me. I tweeted out earlier today that there's a, a plus 110 or 11 to 10 odds that uh, you can get that the Jazz will trade Ennis Cantor. So, again, you're you're making slightly more than double your money back. Uh, so what are the odds there, like 45% then? Yeah, that's, I was honestly surprised to see them that high, even, even that close to even in term, in favor of him being traded. I know that that's not actually in favor of him being traded. That's it being a slight 
under he, underdog that he gets traded, but I was surprised to see it even that close. G- it, generally in the NBA, even with these circumstances, it's just nothing happening tends to be more likely than big things happening, just because right. I think we tend to overrate how easy it is to just kind of flip a switch and just send a whole bunch of players to a new city and bring other players back. It doesn't just happen overnight and instantly. And I mean, that's that's not even the biggest reason. It's just so rarely do the contracts work out under yeah. the CBA and the players' talents work out on the floor and their personalities, which is another factor we don't hear a lot about, work within the culture of the team. So there are a lot of guys who may be mentioned in trade rumors that the Jazz, quite frankly, won't acquire because they don't feel that it'll fit into the long-term culture of the team, you know, which is the hard work, toughness, the the defensive smarts, that sort of thing that the Jazz want to continue to play with. So you're saying forward. they're not going to get Lance Stevenson? They're probably not going to get Lance Stevenson. No. That's cool with me. I, yeah. can, I can live. Now, I just wanted to mention the Trey Burke and other possibilities really quick before we go into our break, but uh, Trey Burke is not looking to be traded. You know, the Jazz are not making phone calls about Trey Burke like they are other like they are with Enes Kanter. That being said, the point guard situation is such that, you know, obviously you would want an upgrade. And long term you might expect one as Dante Exum and Trey Burke develop, but that being said, you know, you they're it's pretty ugly right now. Um, so they're not making those phone calls, but Trey is someone who you know might be traded, especially in the context of an Ennis Cantor deal. So just to give you an example, mm-hmm. you know if, if Ennis is traded to the Phoenix Suns for someone like Isaiah Thomas, I'm not saying that'll happen. Uh, you know I don't even know how much the Jazz like Thomas, whatever. But if that did happen, then the Jazz would have three, three point guards all of a sudden. They'd probably look to trade Trey Burke to another team, maybe as part of that deal, maybe as a separate deal, and get something back in return for it. That's honestly one of the only, and again, I don't know anything specific in side here but that's one of the only scenarios that i could see at this deadline at least where trey is traded where the jazz feel they can bring in an upgrade to him at the point that not just for this season but for future seasons as well would i think be the maybe the only opportunity that he's traded yeah no i i I completely agree there um it's just it's not that likely but i think it's it's a small enough possibility that that's worth measuring i mean mentioning there's there's no chance the Jazz don't need to trade Trey Burke, right? Like, he's on a cheap contract for the next two and a half years. Uh, you know, he's being paid a backup salary anyway, so mm-hmm. it's not like you're losing production there. It's yeah. just he's a backup point guard right now. The question is whether or not you think he's going to be better and how much he's worth right now. Um, the Jazz are obviously fine with keeping that moving yeah, forward. Yeah, I think the only way you do it is if you really think you have a long-term upgrade there because otherwise, what's the point? There's yeah. We've seen guys improve later in their careers than he is right now right. all the time. And yep. he, like you say, he's still really cheap. So Yep, yep, yep. Um, and then a couple other trade possibilities. Steve Novak has 3.7 left on his contract, I believe, for this year and next. Um, so that's someone who the Jazz could look to trade if they want to use cap space in free agency. Um, that being said, they also feel that they could probably make that trade around the draft too if they wanted to do that. Again, they the basically have move. to do that with and then incentivize that with one of their 11 second round picks or whatever it is. Which uh, is a to, large number. To be able to just trade one of those away and get that cap space for the summer. You know, it, it's not the at the top of their priority list. The other thing is they do have a little bit of cap space to use um, that they could acquire a bigger contract or make a trade work out that way and get something in return. I almost think that that's more unlikely to happen just because the team is focusing so much more on the Ennis Cantor situation mm-hmm. than normally. You know, Maybe if there wasn't all of this other drama going on, they may focus on what they could acquire with that. But 
quite frankly, that's that's not at the top of their priority list, and there are about six other teams that could do it better, say the Philadelphia 76ers. That's who only, are all the Sixers like exist for currently. $13 million to, below the floor or something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, and I also I wouldn't think that the Jazz in that type of scenario would want to take on too much money that would be beyond this year because I think they, they understand that there are gonna, there's going to be needs for that money coming up both this summer and in future summers as well. I don't think that they would necessarily want to have those kind of holds on their books to you know take on some some albatross for more than just the – that's more than an expiring. Agreed. So there's so much to talk about here. There, I mean, there really is the future of the franchise to be decided in the next 48 hours, which I know sounds ridiculous because it's just – it's quote-unquote just Ennis Cantor, but – they really do have to look at, with what they're bringing back, what kind of decisions they'll be making in this summer and next summer in free agency as well. So coming up on the next side of the show, we'll be talking about the other trade possibilities around the NBA. We'll also go around the NBA. There's some contract buyouts. Um, and All-Star Weekend was this weekend, so we're going to be talking about that next. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson. We got Ben Dowsett on the other side. Just want to catch up with some of your tweets, especially the nice ones. You know, if you if you're going to tweet us something nice, I guarantee you we'll read it on the air. 100 percent of the time, because uh, <laughs> I get tweeted nice things so so infrequently that it's just like a breath of fresh air to me. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> I'm just that's a total joke. That's by the way. discouraging. I love my, I love but my regardless, problems. but from Jesse Ferner, Jazz fan Jess, enjoying the. Asterisks out of this. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Enjoying the conversation. Um, so appreciate that. Uh, Want to get into the the trade discussions around that are going on around the NBA too, because obviously these these are the context in which the Jazz are doing the Ennis Cantor discussions, um, and, and there is a lot out there, not just Ennis Cantor and and you know what the Jazz have. So the first one I want to talk about is I, I I think Denver really sets the stage because mm -hmm. of that they are clearly a seller. They're clearly looking to move their assets. They just got two first round picks in return for Timofey Mozgov. And now they're maybe looking to trade Ty Lawson, who's been a little bit of, I don't want to say a cancer, but a malcontent. He got a DUI last month as well, so that's that's something to consider. Um, Kenneth Reed has a big contract, but you know, everyone loves him, but he also has looked to kind of plateaued on the court. Everyone loves him? I, I just love... I had heard that he's actually more of the guy, and this is whispers, not anything official. I had even heard that he's more of the guy that's kind of like people in that locker room are like, what's this guy's deal? Maybe. Like, I mean, uh, okay, I guess every uh, every fan I've ever talked to loves Kenneth Okay, Curry. there you go. Yeah. That's, that, that's what I suppose I mean. Uh, so he's probably on the block a little bit. Aaron Aflalo definitely is on the block. He's a guy who, you know, doesn't make any sense for a team like Denver to have right now, but absolutely makes sense for a contending team to have. And then Wilson Chandler, same kind of thing. You know, these kind of like wing play role players aren't that useful on rebuilding squads, but are very useful in contending situations. Denver's not that. So what's your overall thoughts on that situation? Ben? I think, first of all, I think it doesn't it just kind of make you sad that because all of those are, are potentially valuable pieces on the right team, right? The, the, the right contender, but it, mm -hmm. it, it kind of makes me sad to a point that Denver just has had no success whatsoever putting those pieces together into something that's good. But that's that's a separate thought. And they've got unlucky with injuries, too. That's like true. With Danilo, Danilo Gallinari, yeah. and then uh, they had a couple other injuries last year that are escaping my, my brain. But yeah, no, they've they had, had the Mozgov one last year. I mean, it, it, 
it's been kind of frustrating because they were a Western Conference playoff team before those injuries kind of hit. I think somebody smart is going to grab Ty Lawson, though. I th- He has had his issues. You're absolutely right. But I think somebody smart is going to go ahead and grab him. And I also think Wilson Chandler's deal is extremely desirable. He's First of all, he's unguaranteed next year, or partially guaranteed, I believe, yeah. which is... He's not a likely guy that you're going to want to cut or get rid of or anything like that, but having that out just in case is always really cool. His contract isn't so high that you can't move it, and I think that's, this is absolutely the veteran type of player who could be valuable for a contender. If I'm an actual contender of any kind, I'd maybe spend a hair more than you might think naturally to try and get Wilson Chandler. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I... I, I think that they're probably asking for maybe two to three hairs more than you might they think probably in are return with everybody because because then they can make that trade in the draft or the offseason because you know because that salary is un unguaranteed yeah yeah uh let's move on to the phoenix suns so they've got an interesting point guard situation obviously they've got eric bledsoe under long-term money then goran Dragic will by all intents and purposes, definitely release his player option for next year, being a free agent this summer. And then you've got Isaiah Thomas, who's got a long-term smaller deal. So you've got three point guards there. Uh, apparently, Drogic is of the opinion that he won't resign if Isaiah Thomas and Eric Bledsoe are on the team, just because you know it doesn't make a lot of sense yeah. to be uh, amongst three point guards as a you know as a big money max player. Um, so. The Suns are very much looking at dealing one of those two guys, apparently more so Isaiah Thomas than Drogic. They think they can resign him if they get rid of Isaiah and, and move forward that way, probably with the two best players out of those three, which, again, makes a lot of sense. That being said, Isaiah Thomas is on the market. Is he someone who you like for the Jazz to get, possibly? Possibly. I, I, I think I said this a couple weeks ago when his name was mentioned. One thing about He's definitely a better shooter than Trey Burke and definitely a better penetrator. But it, we worry sometimes about Trey Burke getting some tunnel vision, and that ain't changing if you bring in Isaiah Thomas. In fact, it's probably getting worse. He's the he's even smaller than Trey is, right. and he can't see over those treetop arms and things like that. Um, I think he'd be interesting in the right context, and here's the thing, though, and this is something you've mentioned. You're kind of locking yourself in there if you do a deal like that because he's on the books till 17, 18. He's, th- this guy's going to be here for the long term if you bring him in, and you better be sure is all I'm saying. He is, but he's cheap. So he's, only, he's actually got a decreasing deal, which mm-hmm. is kind of clever. So you know, when the salary cap goes up to like $90 million two years from now, and you're only paying him six point five million dollars. I, you know, that's actually a really bar, uh, really a bargain. You're at twenty seven years old. You're paying Isaiah Thomas to be who he is. You know, he's. You're right that he's not a great defender. Uh, he's not a great passer, but he can absolutely score the ball. Yeah. And you know, and, and I'm not sure that Trey Burke can or ever will. You know, he's a much better finisher around the basket. He's a much better finisher in kind of that three to fifteen foot range. He's yeah. got a kind of fun variety of floaters. And he's a much better three-point shooter, shooting, that's a I believe, big, 39% from the field this year. That's a big deal. And, and then you do mention the decreasing salary, which would be good that it's, it's low enough in the situation that we do see the kind of explosion we're hoping for from Dante Exum in one of those years. You don't feel like you're losing a bargain by, if you have to put Thomas on the bench at that point, if Exum is so good right. that he demands to be starting because of his play. Which is, that's a potential good thing right there. So, yeah, I think he'd be on the radar. Yeah, I, I do too. And I, I mean, I, I don't think that he'd be an amazing pickup. And I, I think it's also someone who the Jazz could trade two years down the road if Dante Exum yeah. becomes good. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, kind of the hope and dreams that Jazz fans and the front office a little bit are, are staking themselves Absolutely. on. Absolutely. 
Uh, next one up is Reggie Jackson of the Oklahoma City Thunder. We've talked about him on the show a lot, but he's clearly unhappy, also a restricted free agent. Um, you know, the Thunder are not going to spend the money to match the big amount of money that he's going to get. So naturally, they're looking for what they could trade him for now. You know, I don't think the Jazz would do that move right now to acquire Reggie Jackson, but he's definitely on the market, definitely someone teams are considering. Yeah, I think the Thunder are going to have to be prepared to maybe get pennies for him because you just he's the one guy that hasn't worked in a locker room culture where everyone seems to like each other. That's true. He's, you know, he's the he's he's shooting has just gone been catastrophic again this year after it looked like last year might be a bit of a boon there. I've been upfront with it. I'm just not a fan of him as a player. I hope the Jazz aren't interested in him in general. I I I, I mean, I honestly I would take Trey Burke right now over him by a reasonable margin, actually, hmm. which okay. is which I think a lot of people would disagree with. I know Jackson I, I right I would now too. is a better. Def- I know Jackson right now is a better defender, no question. But I, I I just don't. I watch the guy's game and I just don't see a player that can do anything that I want a point guard to be doing. And not that Trey does everything I want a point guard to be <laughs> doing, but he does a couple more of those things than I see Reggie Jackson. See, and I, I think I would disagree with you. I like Reggie Jackson defense because Trey is is bad on that side of the floor and Reggie Jackson's quite good yeah Uh, and that's that's a big deal you know that's difficult to quantify with stats but I think it's a big deal let me ask you what you think about maybe another uh, another player a big man this time though Jason Thompson who asked for a trade this week apparently too he's a really interesting piece I actually had a piece come out on b-ball breakdown today about the Kings and about how weird it is that they have this awesome starting lineup including Jason Thompson but then the rest of their team is the the, every other lineup they play is this utter garbage heap it's amazing (laughs) and Thompson himself is really interesting. It's tough to separate because his his actual his individual metrics are terrible. He's having his worst year that he's had in the league. His PER is down under 10. It's single digits. Objectively, he's having a terrible year. But that starting lineup with him has seemed to fit really well, and it's tough to separate whether that's just that he's the kind of guy that happens to fit in with a group that has a lot of talent around him with, with Boogie Cousins and Darren Collison and Rudy Gay, or whether he's actually doing something that the numbers aren't telling us that is really, really good that could be replicated on another team. I'm a little, I honestly don't know what my full opinion is there because it's so hard to separate that in my yeah. opinion. No, it is, and he's an interesting question. He has been with the Kings for so long that, yeah. like, you almost feel that he has to be part of the problem in some sense with, you know, what they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it's just an interesting valuation question for scouts around as, the league. As far as the Jazz go, I don't know if you were asking it in the context of the Jazz. Wouldn't be interested. He can't shoot at all. If okay. we're bringing in a new big, I'd rather it be somebody who at least can shoot the mid-range, sort of. Makes sense. Okay, a uh, couple other NBA personnel moves. Amari Stoudemire was bought out with the New York Knicks. He's signing with the Dallas Mavericks, adding yet another piece to the Western Conference playoff fight. Yeah, good for him. I'm I'm really hoping to see a bit of a resurgence. Yeah, I love Amari. Yeah, he's he a was fun so guy. much fun in Phoenix. So much fun, and that first like half season with New York again, just like yeah. super exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry Sanders and the Bucks are working on a contract buyout as well. It sounds like Larry Sanders is done in Milwaukee. It sounds like it. I feel for the guy. I feel like a lot of the times we we tend to just jump straight to oh you know he's a criminal or he's a whatever. I, I do feel for him. People have issues that go beyond the game and things like that. And I, I just hope he's well personally before we get into any basketball stuff. Really, yeah. You know? No, I, I think that's that's the right way to do it. So magnanimous of you, Ben. Right? I know. I'm such a nice guy. <laughs> 
Uh, Paul George may return by mid-March. That'll be exciting for Indiana and also maybe a little bit exciting for the Jazz because they're one of those teams that's in kind of that same uh, pick range as the Jazz are right mm-hmm. now. If, if Indiana were to improve with Paul George's return, maybe the Jazz get one slot better of a draft pick. Yeah, I'd be fine with it from the Jazz perspective, and it'd be interesting to see him. I, I mean, if I were Indy, you better be one million and a half percent sure that he's good but yeah i'm assuming they wouldn't unless he was so yeah yeah and and it's hard to hold those guys back if they do want to play if they feel like they've done all of that hard work for literally months on end and Mm -hmm. and they're ready to play it's hard to say no you can't go out there for our 20 win team right now you know just wait till next year yeah yeah. because you know again that's another six months of waiting for your star player yeah uh lebron james is a new vice president of the nba's player union which i think is interesting that makes a really formidable one-two punch with chris paul and lebron Mm -hmm. i don't think the nba players union has had that much star power in its leadership before no and i honestly i'm surprised it took this long i had thought that lebron would enter that kind of a position several years ago i think he's he's positioned himself to do that sort of a thing within the league and i i think it's great for the players union also Um, yeah also in that players union meeting they rejected the cap smoothing thing so that mm -hmm. basically would have raised the salary cap a little bit this summer as teams look to make a move there mm-hmm. now it's just going to be 90 million dollars in two years those free agents will get a huge bonus as a result maybe this year's free agents get hurt a little bit we could see a lot of one-year deals for guys as they look to take advantage of that big cap hit coming in two years from now yep uh andrew okay maybe funnier news yeah Andrew Bynum, uh, reported today, had not today, but in the past, had a gas hose hanging out <laughs> of his Ferrari at the practice facility of the Philadelphia 76ers. And wasn't just like a trainer or rolls up, pointed yeah. it out to him? Like- yeah, trainer... Tony says, hey, man, you got something wrong with your car there. Just, I, I just love the image of Andrew Bynum, who, by the way, is a notoriously bad parker anyway. And it, it says a lot if you're an NBA player and you're bad at parking. Um he, yeah, just had a, a gas hose nozzle and all, just stuck in his gas car, <laughs> ran away with it, and, and, wasn't and his had res- no idea. Wasn't his response when the twin, whoever pointed it out to him, kind of just like, meh, yeah. whatever. <laughs> what that's, you gonna to, do? To me, that's the best part of it. It's just like, <laughs> it, like I, I suppose it would be within possibility that I might do something like that. I might drive a little while with ga- the gas. First of all, no, it's not. I would never do that. But if I did... I did it once, I'll when, be honest. I but, mean, I didn't pull off like the whole thing, but it like kind of fell out of my car and i was like oh no i've i've, I've made a huge mistake but you were like surprised and- yeah and and had remorse <laughs> yeah like went and apologized and yeah no I, andrew bynum is different than you and i nobody got time for gas pumps <laughs> and yeah <laughs> and then in the last our last note craig sager of tnt is almost ready to return courtside for his interviews in the crazy suits good to see that's happening back and it, it's exciting to see that guy is, is legitimately cool Oh, he's awesome. I expect to see the suit game ramp up even more now. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we'll talk more about uh, the trade deadline. LOL Lakers, of course. That's our favorite segment every week. And then talk a little bit about the All-Star game. Uh, You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Dowsett over here on the other side. So you can always tweet us, by the way, at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. We usually do this a little bit later in the show, but it's time for my favorite show. And I think it's John's favorite time of the show as well. John, our producer. Thanks again, as always. For LOL Lakers. Let's hear it. 
So, you know, you'd think that the Lakers would be able to avoid making news in a week where they have literally no basketball games, literally no players in the All-Star game, (laughs) no relevance whatsoever. But lo and behold, they have. It's, It's pretty incredible. First of all, TV ratings came out for all the various local franchises around the league. The Lakers are averaging a 1.95 household rating on on their cable channel. That's the first time they've dipped below two in their history, so that's 2% of people watching at any given time. Basically, that sucks. no one's no one's watching Lakers game. Not not at all surprising given who who they're starting and who their players are right now. Do you know if the Clippers is higher? Uh, I don't know actually. I hope it is. I hope so too. Like yeah, which of those two teams would you rather watch? Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Charles Barkley actually said in an interview that he was traded for the Lakers to the Lakers, sorry, for one day, and then these, the Sixers kind of rescinded their offer. But for, for a few hours there, he thought he was going to L.A. Wow. I actually didn't see this. Did he say the who the partic- any particulars of the trade? No, I, I, I don't think he did. So it was just kind of a imagine what if Charles Barkley was on the Lakers. How good are those early 90s Lakers you know how much better are they than they ended up being well they wouldn't have given up 118 points a game i know that (laughs) fair enough and then uh jerry west on a local radio station there in la uh, on considering a return to the lakers again this is one of the lakers franchise heroes saying i wouldn't be asked to go back there that would not happen trust me so like we had a we talked about kind of there having a little bit of a feud with Magic Johnson last week. Now Jerry West is not a fan of current Lakers ownership. Um, it's an ugly situation. They're starting Jordan Clarkson, Tariq Black. I don't even know who else. I actually like Tariq Black a little bit. But yeah, he is not, kind of fun. not as a starter in the NBA just yet. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry Lakers fans, this is what you guys get for the last like 25 years of being ridiculously petulant. You know it's going to only last for a little bit. Yeah. Like you know that some crazy thing is going to happen next year or the year after when Kobe's gone and all of a sudden they're going to be good again. That's the thing. It actually you... breaks my heart, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty Had much. Had you guys not shouted rings at us for 20 years straight, we would not have an LOL Lakers segment on true. the show, but nevertheless we have to because you're just such an enjoyably messed up franchise right now. Yeah, and then of course there was the uh, the Kobe Bryant interview that came out yesterday, where he, which I don't think there was any surprising piece in there. Yeah, Kobe continuing to have delusions of grandeur about the rest of his career and things like right. that. Right, like he thinks he'll be a good player next year, which you know he might be. I guess I think it's within the realm of possibility. But probably not. Sure. <laughs> I can think of a lot of things that are in the realm of possibility, but that also aren't likely. Ah, uh, it's just so lovely. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you. Um, that was fun. I also, yeah, it was fun. I wanted to talk about the the All Star game a little bit. I I think this was one of the best All Star weekends that that I can remember. I mean, there was the three point contest was great. The dunk contest was great. The game itself had a lot of highlights. A lot of action was close till the end. Uh, obviously, the rookie sophomore game was fun for Jazz fans to watch personally. Um, I think even objectively, that was the best rookie sophomore game in a long time okay. just because Rudy was trying. He played defense. Like, so it was fun. Yeah, that was great. What, how many times have you seen a dunk attempt directly blocked at the rim in an all-star type game before? Like, it never happens. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember that happening before now. But Rudy Gobert made it so. I thought he should have been voted MVP. Andrew Wiggins was. Maybe that's because Andrew Wiggins played better earlier in the game and uh, Rudy Gobert played later. Maybe that's because fans didn't know how to spell Rudy Gobert's name. Whatever it was... Rudy Gobert got robbed. Yeah, I think he definitely did. I think he deserved it. 
Uh, Patrick Beverly won the skills challenge. Trey Burke didn't. That's about all I have to say about that. That was the low light of the weekend. That whole contest was like, uh, man, I almost fell asleep. <laughs> but the three-point contest woke you back up. Really, really good time. That was a lot of fun. I My pick went down in flames. It's too bad. I would have been two for three at that point because I did pick the world to win the world game. I got Beverly wrong. I would have uh, I would have been two for three if Steph or if Clay had gone out there and won it, but Steph was dominant. That was ridiculous. Yeah, now's the point when I would say uh, Steph Curry was my pick. So yeah, okay, well, good <laughs> pick. didn't he make like thirteen straight at one he point did. in that last round? Yeah, which is which is nice to see. I mean, I guess Clay Thompson made what ten straight in a in earlier an yeah. actual game. Yeah, but you know, thirteen straight in a, in a warm up is still pretty nice. Oh yeah. And uh, the dunk contest itself. The the dunk contest is back. That was the best one since Vince. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think so. Besides Jeremy Evans, of course. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I, I love the Jeremy Evans dunk contest, but still probably not him. Um, yeah, Zach Levine did some things so effortlessly, too, that I don't think I, I anticipated. I don't think that behind the back one has gotten enough love. That's legitimately the sickest dunk I've seen a person do, for, especially the sickest first try dunk I've seen a guy yeah. do since I think Vince Carter. That's incredible to be able to, and the, you're like you said, the smoothness kind of with which he does it. Oh man, that was awesome. I really enjoyed that. Uh, uh, Plumley and uh, and Giannis were kind of like just there as window dressing, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, <laughs> but you know, you know when that when one player is that good, that almost has to happen. You know, that's yeah. just the way it ends up. Yeah, it's definitely true. He's I, man, he's amazing. I, some, I saw somebody tweet. I just wanted to say it real quick because I think it was a great viewpoint. I apologize, I don't remember who tweeted this. That I think this is the first year in many where we've left the dunk contest all cumulatively, clearly thinking we just watched the best dunker in the NBA dunk. In yeah, front of us. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think I agree. Um, then I saw, well, I thought I agreed, and then I saw the All Star game itself. That LeBron was and sick. that LeBron alley behind the back was, or I guess reverse, not behind the back, excuse me, but the reverse was sick. And then Russell Westbrook hit his head on yeah. the backboard. That's that's difficult to do. What do we have to pay to just get those three guys, Levine and those two, next year? I'll pay money if the, you guys get a Kickstarter going or something. Yeah, like, no, I I think like if we donated like three million dollars in charity to the winner, the winner gets to choose which charity it goes to. Yeah, and you know guilt trip on them a little bit if they don't accept. You know, like LeBron, the you know Cleveland kids boys and girls club is not going to get money if if you don't be in the stunt contest. Maybe maybe he does it. Tell me that you put maybe if those... we bring those kids out. Yeah. And, and have them cry in yeah. front of LeBron. Do that, plus put Wiggins in, and tell me that doesn't draw more viewers than certain NBA TV playoff games. Oh, like. yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, the All-Star game drew more <laughs> viewers than certain NBA that's, playoff yeah, games. I that's mean, very true. The, the dunk contest with those names in it, I mean, that, that would be must-see television. Real quick, did you think it was funny that they, like, first of all, did you think they did this? But did, if they did, do you think it was funny that they kind of froze Russell out right at the end of the game so he couldn't get the point record <laughs> for the All-Star game? Well, and it was James Harden who had the ball as much as yeah, possible, right? too, which I thought was funny. But no, I, I think those guys are friends. I think, honestly, like, it was the last two minutes and everyone kind of wanted to be the hero there. And while Russell Westbrook definitely has that in him, he just wasn't the one who ended up with the ball. I, I, I yeah. don't think he was being frozen out. I just don't think that those guys knew like the NBA's all-star history of, of the 43 points being the, the yeah. record or cared or, or cared. That's another good point too. Um, yeah. I mean, and obviously the Western conference won the all-star game. So I, I think that's what we all expected. Well, I picked the East, but <laughs> other than that, cause I picked the East cause of the four Hawks plus LeBron lineup that I yeah, thought was going to be dominant and it was good, but still yeah. not, 
not brilliant. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited for what's coming up on the other side of the break. So we're going to have seven different writers join us from different teams around the league, um, looking at what we can do with Ennis Cantor deals. So um, we're going to play GM a little bit. We'll have them on the phone for about five minutes each, talking about what their franchises are like, what their rosters look like, what they'd be willing to give up for Ennis Cantor, you know, both short-term and long-term, and, and see if we can negotiate a deal that works for the Jazz. Are you I'm ready? Pretty, yeah, I'm pretty stoked on it, too. What team? Tell me what teams writers. We can d- introduce the writers after the break. But what teams writers are we talking to? So we're talking to Boston, Phoenix, Oklahoma City, Toronto, Milwaukee, Golden State, and Sacramento. Ooh, Golden State. Those are yeah. Those are the teams that have been rumored in ja- in these sort of jazz and Cantor trade discussions. Okay, I'm stoked. Yeah, it, it should be a good time. So we'll be listening to that. Uh, you're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome to the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. So now is what you've been all waiting for. We are going around the NBA, talking with seven different writers from around the league, asking what they'd be willing to give up for Ennis Cantor, seeing if we can make some deals Let's get started. First of all, we've got Brian Robb from the Boston Celtics. He's the managing editor of Celtics Hub, the ESPN affiliate for the Boston Celtics. Brian, how are you doing? Hey, guys. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. So we got this Ennis Cantor trade situation going on where he's, he wants to go. Boston's been named as someone who may make sense as a possible destination. Is, is it true that you guys would be interested in maybe making a deal for Ennis? And then if so, what kind of value would you be willing to give up? You know, I think the C's, you know, Cantor's obviously a young prospect and the C's do need a, a true center on this roster. So anytime, a player like that becomes available. I have to think that Danny Ainge would be happy to kick the tires on a guy like that. As far as a price to give up, that's where things get interesting because obviously Cantor is going to be a restricted free agent after the season, so he's going to be due for a sizable raise. So that would kind of limit, I think, how much Ainge is willing to give up for a guy like Cantor. Obviously, he'd be a big, big upgrade on the offensive end, but he's not the rim-protecting big man that the Seas would need right now. So I think as a starting point, I'd be looking at, you know, maybe the Seas obviously have a ton of first-round picks, and I think you know they may be willing to give up one of the, not one of their own, but maybe one of the first-round picks from the Ma- a Mavericks' future first-round pick for next year or a Cavs-protected first-round pick for next year. One of those picks that might land in the late 20s or Mid twenties of the first round, as opposed to one of their own picks, which would obviously be towards the the front half of the draft. Now, do you think that they would have along with that the other play the, for to match the salaries? Of course, it would have to be more of an expiring type, like a Brandon Bass or a Tayshon exactly. Prince or someone like that. Now, my and so I heard you say yes on that. My my question was that Boston has a number of young pieces. As for, you know, they've got Sullinger, Young, Zeller, Olinick, Smart. I, I think everybody knows Smart is, of course, completely off the table. As I think Olinick yeah. would would be as well. Do you think any of those other three Zeller, Young, Sullinger? No, I'm not saying just for Cantor, but in the right circumstance might be available? Oh, no. All those guys are definitely available in the right circumstance. And I think, obviously, uh, a bigger deal could be there involving 
any of those three players. Um, but just for Cantor, straight up, given all those guys are signed at least through next year, um, Olenek obviously a couple years beyond that since he's earlier in his deal. So they're, they're certainly available in, in the right trade, but you'd have to throw more names in the mix on the, the Utah end of things to, uh, for the season to engage the season on uh, any of those players, I feel like. Even though Cantor obviously would have some appeal since he would um, ideally replace one of those guys in the, uh, in the front court. So let me ask, since, you know, we were talking about the uh, Brandon Bass and, and Tayshawn Prince kind of deals. Would you guys give someone like Brandon Bass plus one of those first-round picks in return for Ennis Cantor? Again, a yeah, pretender so I GM. Think, yeah, I think that's the kind of deal that the Seas would go for. They wouldn't, they, I don't think, that Bass is a guy who, he makes reasonable money, but I think the Seas have been trying to deal him for a while to get a, a young prospect like, um, such as Cantor. So, I don't, again, I don't think, a, for, a late first round pick and a Brandon Bass, that's a, that's a reasonable deal. I, it might be a little, I'm a little hesitant just because of how much Cantor is expected to make in his next deal and whether that that kind of money that the season would want to pay. So I'd probably, in order to make a deal like that, I'd probably want the team to get assurances from Cantor that he wants to stay here and that what kind of money he would be willing to sign for. But on the, I do think that's the kind of deal that the, the Seas would be potentially willing to offer here. Okay. All right. So that's that's kind of where we're at. Maybe Brandon Bass and a first-round pick. What do you guys have in terms of first-round picks? Just really quick. Oh, they have so many. I mean, just yeah, in so terms of those we, we, we could be here all night, guys, if I went through all of them. <laughs> yeah, but, um, they have so many. And it's so they're, they have the Clippers unprotected first-round pick this year. Next year, they have a couple protected first-round picks from the Mavericks and the Cavs that are likely to um, obviously land towards the later half of the first round. And then uh, there's the Brooklyn first round unprotected picks for the next couple seasons as well. Those are off the table because Brooklyn looks like they're going to be in shambles in another year or two. So I don't think mm-hmm. you guys would be able to get those. But one of those one of those later picks that are likely would fall in the 20s, I do think obviously the Seas have plenty of those, and that's something that they might be willing to give up for uh, a cable big man like Cantor. I think Bass and that Clippers first rounder for Cantor is an entirely reasonable offer on both sides. I don't know if the Jazz, if it'd be quite enough for the Jazz, considering we've we've seen that they've been they're saying they you know at least rumors are that they want uh, a first round pick plus a young player. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I like yeah. it as a starting point though. Do you guys? I mean, do you guys think that's kind of an overreach by them to expect that much for a guy that wants mm. out of town? A little. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe. I, it's it's hard to say because, you know, and this is part of this is just because you're team one on our list of seven that we're going to be talking to. So I, I think that's kind of what's up in the air right now. We'll, we'll try to find that out. All right. Well, thanks, Brian, so much for joining us and giving us a Celtics point of view on this. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. All right. Next up, we've got Dave King. He's the managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun, the Phoenix Sun's biggest blog. Uh, Dave, are you there? I sure am. Glad to have. Glad to be on. Hey, thanks again for joining us. So, uh, you know, as you know, Ennis Cantor has made his trade wishes known to the whole league, um, and he's someone who's been mentioned as a, a possible trade target for the Phoenix Suns. If, if you're running the Suns right now, do you look to acquire Ennis Cantor, and, and what would you be willing to give up? Oh, that's a that's an interesting question, um, and I'm I'm of two minds on this. But uh, on on one hand. Cantor would become the best rebounder on the team uh, and the one who can play the most minutes. You know, a 30-minute uh, a game guy who can who can rebound at a high rate is is something that the Suns have been looking for. 
However, um, he's, you know, he's not a rim protector. He's not a shot blocker. Uh, he's not a great defensive player. And so uh, you'd, you'd want to pair him with someone like that to, to make him really effective on a front line. And the Suns don't um, have guys uh, at the power forward spot who can do that. Putting him next to Marquise Morris would be really hard to, um, hard to line up. So I'm, I'm of two minds. I think he'd be a good player on the Suns. I don't know that uh, he... Um, would be the first guy the Suns should should go after, um, but in a in a trade for him, I, I guess I could see giving up someone like a Miles Plumley and and a future pick, a protected pick, but that wouldn't really match on the salaries. He'd have to take someone like a Gerald Green as well. Right. So someone like Miles Plumley plus Gerald Green. Boy, I'm I'm gonna tell you from the I, Jazz perspective, I, I would do that. You and would, I would see, do I it you fast. you are not a very good negotiator, Mr. Ben Dowsett. I was gonna, I want to ask a little bit first, Dave, about the Isaiah Thomas situation. And, you know, is there something where obviously that's someone who you you may be looking to trade as well? Is there something that the Jazz could give up that could make Isaiah Thomas part of that deal? Yeah, you know that's a, that's another good question. Um. Isaiah Thomas has not been the best fit for the Suns because uh, he is another ball-dominant point guard, and the Suns are looking to uh, potentially move him uh, to put Goran Dragic back on the on the point a lot more often, like he was last year. So I, I guess I would be interested in that. I, in fact, you know, as you as as as, as the other gentleman said, uh, that's that's immediately giving up a lot for um, and, and as Cantor. Um, but then you got to, uh, as far as Miles Plumley and Gerald Green, Gerald Green's got a free agent in a couple of months, and he's really a hot and cold kind of player. And and Miles Plumley would just be an even match as far as position, uh, uh, you know, play there. But if you switch gears and you go to an Isaiah Thomas instead, uh, yeah, I could actually see something like that happening. But the Suns would need something more back, obviously, than than NS Cantor. So uh, maybe it, uh, Jazz have a lot of second round picks, like a lot of second round picks. <laughs> uh, yeah, second round picks don't excite me that much. Yeah. The Suns have uh, the Lakers pick coming up, and and uh, their own, of course, uh, first round picks in the future. Second round picks, I've never been really high on myself. Yeah. Um, we also I do have a young, uh, sh- uh, uh, small forward, but I'm trying to think behind uh, Gordon Hayward. Who is there? Rodney Hood is maybe who you're thinking of. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. I mean, that's something that the Jazz may. Con- I, I mean, they like Rodney Hood a lot, but you know, if you talk about getting a, a good point guard back in Isaiah Thomas, maybe that's something you consider. The Jazz also have the Golden State's 2017 first rounder. Maybe that's something they consider. And maybe you do a, a long term first round pick for the Jazz as well. Maybe a, a long term lottery protected pick, something that may work out for for the Suns a couple seasons from now. Oh, that, yeah, that would actually be pretty enticing because the Suns already, like I said, they have the Lakers pick in the next year or two. They already have a half a dozen kids, um, guys that are 23 and under. Right now, so I'm, and they got Bogdan Bogdanovich coming over eventually from Europe, uh, who was rated as one of the top five, I think, uh, European uh, players, I guess, recently, and yeah. in one in one listing anyway. Um, so yeah, a, a pick down the road that could turn out to be a good one uh, might be a, a good a good enticement there as well. So let me ask: if we did Isaiah Thomas and Miles Plumlee for Ennis Cantor, 
And I think we'd have to throw in someone like a Steve Novak in order to make Ronnie that deal Hood? work. What about Ronnie Hood? I don't want to give up Ronnie Hood. Oh, ben, okay. you're such a bad <laughs> negotiator. No, I'm just saying you, you know what? Yeah, before. yeah. If you're, if you're <laughs> in, Miles Plumley, who started most of last year, and Isaiah Thomas, who, who would be a starter for you guys, um, and Plumley would certainly take over Cantor's minutes. Yeah, I think he'd have to give up a little bit more. All right. Um, so I'm going to put you down then, just just as we're marking down some of these good deals. I'm just going to do uh, Plumley for Gerald Plumley and Gerald Green for Ennis Cantor. Sound good? Uh, that, yeah, that'd be okay. All right. I would think so. All mm-hmm. right, we'll go with that. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, yeah, thanks again. All right, uh, anytime. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, by the way, actually, right as he gets off the phone, uh, I am seeing a report now coming out from Shams Charania that uh, the Suns informed Goran Dragic tonight that they'll accept his request for a trade and work to move him by the deadline. Wow. League sources tell Real GM. So neither us nor Dave knew about that, but that yep. would have been interesting, interesting would, would have been to work into that conversation. Found that out five minutes earlier. <laughs> Dang it, Shams. Okay, anyway, um, let's move on to John Hamm. He represents the Oklahoma City Thunder, another team that's been mentioned in these trade talks. John, how are you doing? Great. How's it going, guys? Good. All right. So you guys may be interested in Scanter, at least according to these rumors. As you look at your team situation, what are you looking to maybe give up in order to make a trade for Ennis? Well, so the, the interesting thing, the more I think about this, uh, I, I wonder, are they actually interested in Ennis Cantor, or are they interested in him to flip him to Brooklyn for Brooke Lopez? I'm about to make this very complicated and make it a three-team scenario. Okay, let's hear it. Let's do it. All right. So and now as far as what the Thunder have to offer, um, Reggie Jackson is at the top of that list. And, and, and I heard your comments earlier, Ben. And so the, the truth is Reggie has played uninspired basketball this season. We, we still don't know exactly what's going on, but, you know, we're pretty sure it has a lot to do with his contractual situation and his role on the team. Um, consider this, when Reggie Jackson was starting earlier this season in place of Westbrook, he was averaging 20 points a game, 7.8 assists, 5.2 rebounds, getting to the line almost five times a game. So that's the, that's the kind of concern on my side is like if Reggie Jackson is traded out to another team, he could wind up turning out to be the kind of player that he thinks he is. That's that would be a concern. I wor- the thing I worry about most is his shooting. And, I mean, his attitude has been one thing, but I just I worry that the guy can really never allow you to space the floor at all. That's that's my biggest concern with him generally. That's that's a legit concern. He, uh, he he's not a terrible three point shooter. He just takes bad three point shots, which in turn lowers the percentage. He is he is much better at penetrating and creating a shot, and getting to the rim, you know, than as a spot up shooter. So you know that is a legit concern as well. So. Aside from Reggie Jackson, they've also got Jeremy Lamb, who has fallen out of the rotation again. Um, he, you know, Scott Brooks is really big on effort, and especially on the defensive end. And Reggie just has never been able to bring that consistently. And it feels like we're at the point where, you know, a change would do everyone good. And you know, that's another guy that I believe has got NBA talent that could help a team somewhere, but maybe he just needs to wind up in a different environment. Let me ask you about another guy who we've kind of mentioned on the show a little bit in the last couple of weeks. And, and you know, you may not know a ton about him because he's overseas, but, you know, he is in your rights as well. Alex Abrinas plays for FC Barcelona right now in Europe. Is he someone who you might be willing to include as part of these offers? What are your opinions of him? From what I can gather about Abrinas, uh, they really like him long-term. I mean, he, he is shooting the lights out overseas for FC Barcelona. And his, his, one of his teammates is a guy named Tibor Pleiss, 
who is a guy that the Thunder acquired his draft rights back in 2010. Um, they thought about bringing him over a time or two. That it just never worked out. And it looks like that he would be ready to come over next season. Um, but if the Thunder were to acquire, say, Brooke Lopez, or even if they traded for Ennis Cantor, that would kind of eliminate the need for Tibor Plyce, which would free him up in trade talks. So out of those two prospects, I would think Plyce would be the guy more likely put into a deal rather than Abrinas. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Now, and let me ask you also about the Kendrick Perkins situation. Obviously, he's someone who's you know been on the roster a long time, kind of a bigger salary. Is he someone who the Thunder would like to dump at this trade deadline? Uh, not that they would like to dump. Um, so the, the thing that, that often gets overlooked with Kendrick Perkins, with, with the people that don't watch the Thunder consistently, um, Perkins' value is on the defensive end of the court, and you really have to dig into a lot of the advanced defensive stats to realize his value. He's a strong presence in the locker room. Uh, he's, he's very important to the team chemistry overall. So, in, in other words, it, they're not looking to jettison him because he is some millstone on the franchise. He, he, is, he is very well thought of. Unfortunately, because the Thunder have these guys that are on rookie-scale deals that are low money, in order to make up the salary to acquire a bigger guy like Brooke Lopez, that's where Perkins would have to be included. So uh, it, it just depends on what type of a package you're putting together, whether Perkins would be in that or not. Gotcha. Okay, makes sense. So in the end, if, if you had to put your kind of best offer on the table for Ennis Cantor, you know, even if it's not a whole lot, what, what are you putting out there? I So the, the other complication I have here is that you know, if I'm Sam Presti, um, and I need to be a lot smarter than I am right now to be Sam Presti, but I'm just imagining <laughs> here for a moment. All right. um, I'm trading Reggie Jackson, but I need to fill that backup point guard spot. And they've got a guy in the D League, Samaje Kristen, that may come up next season, but he may not help now. Um, Ish Smith is on the roster, but he's really a third-string guard. Uh, so I, I've kind of clued in a little bit on Trey Burke. However, I don't know if putting together some package of Reggie Jackson and Jeremy Lamb and Tibor Plyce to bring back Cantor and Burke both makes a lot of sense for Utah. Yeah, I, I could I could see something like that working out where you package Ennis and Trey, get those guys back. Again, I don't know if the Jazz want Reggie Jackson long term, but maybe you make a three-team deal at that point and see what Reggie Jackson can be flipped for. I mean, there are at least some opportunities there. I, I, yeah. I apologize, John, because we, we got to rotate pretty quickly through all the teams, but thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, I'm, I'm putting down at least that little offer as, as what we've got from you. I apologize. <laughs> no, that, no, no problem, guys. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. Thanks for coming on. Uh, John's always a great guy. I really like talking to him, about, even just on Twitter, about the standard stuff. Really well-opinionated. Yeah. yeah, smart dude. All right, Blake Murphy from the Toronto Raptors is up next. He's the managing editor of Raptors Republic, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Toronto Raptors. Blake, are you there? Yes, I am. How's it going? Good. All right, so as I don't know how much you've been listening to, but we're going around the league talking to teams uh, trying to figure out what the Jazz could get in Ennis Cantor, and so you're you're going to act as the Raptors representative here a little bit. Uh, if you were looking to acquire Ennis Cantor, what would the Raptors be willing to give up in such a scenario? It, it can't be a lot. I I was a little surprised when they were even attached to Cantor in the first place because he absolutely doesn't fill a need or fix a, fix a hole at all right now. So it was very confusing to me to see him even attached to the Raptors. 
Um, so it, not much is what my answer would be, especially not given what what Utah has purported to want for him. I'm not going to lie. I kind of agree with you there, but like this was the, the team that I thought I was kind of a little bit. Now, I think that some of the, the rumors that have been attached to it, at least partially, have been involving Terrence Ross because he just because he's been having a bit of a down year. There's a little bit of uncertainty in Toronto around his status. Well, uh, is that just totally unrealistic from your guys' end or what would you guys think about that? I don't think I'd do a Ross Cantor flip straight up, even though in strictly, you know, basketball value terms, that, that might make sense. Um, if the Raptors did that trade, they'd suddenly be quite thin on the wing and really thin on shooting. Uh, as bad as Ross has been, he's one of their best three-point threats, and they have to play him for that reason. Um, but it would give them a, a terrible roster imbalance where, you know, Cantor – Cantor can play a little bit of the four I, I is the impression that I get, but he's more suited for the five, at least offensively. Um, and the Raptors have Jonas Valanciunas, and they also have Patrick Patterson and Amir Johnson. As much as ba- uh, upgrading the backup center position should be a priority at the deadline, um, you'd be plugging that small hole where you need a better guy for you know 15 minutes a game and creating a bigger one on the wing, uh, and you'd have a total paucity of shooting after that. So, um, And then add on top of that that Cantor – is going to be an RFA this summer and command a big salary, whereas you got one year left with Ross to, to figure out what he is before you have to pay him. Um, I don't see it. I know I know in strictly value terms that that deal might make sense, but if I'm the Raptors, I'm balking at that for sure. Is it something that you'd be willing to give, you know, say, like a future first or anything like that? I'm, I'm not sure what you guys have, but I mean, I, I'm just scrambling here for a little bit. They've got um, uh, they've got most of their first they've got all their first round picks excuse me all, and they're owed another all of the first and then uh, the lower of the Knicks and Nuggets in 2016 which given the state of both of those franchises is probably an untouchable yeah. asset when it comes to uh, a guy like Cantor um, you know like like I'm I'm open to the Raptors moving their 2015 pick in some deal if the right deal presents itself mostly just because. Uh, Bruno Caboclo and Lucas Nogueira are going to be de facto rookies again next year. Neither one of them is playing a a lick this year, so they're basically going to operate as rookies next year, and there might not be the development time for them. Um, Again, to to upgrade a backup center spot, to upgrade basically Tyler Hansbrough for 15 minutes a game, I'm not sure you deal first. I, I think you could, I think the first is more valuable as currency. Yeah, I, I, I think you may well be right. I know you're a big uh, Bruno fan because I, I follow your Twitter <laughs> feed. I know, you're, but of course, I think everyone in Toronto is a big Bruno fan at this point. You mentioned briefly Patrick Patterson. Now, of course, as a straight up deal, I think it's obvious he's far more valuable than Cantor currently. Do you think he would, if more was involved, he might potentially be on the radar because he's the one? Like I say, I agree with you that that isn't the perfect matchup of two teams. But when I look down the roster, Patrick Patterson is the one who sticks out to me. If the right pieces were involved, do you think Toronto would be willing to move him? Or or is he kind of integral to what's going on? Um, it's similar to Ross, he, he, his shooting is so valuable because they don't have a lot of a lot of off-ball shooters like that. I don't think he's untouchable by any means. Um, you know, they, they gave him what's pretty fair market value this offseason, so he's not a great he's – not, he's not overpaid by any means, but he's not a great deal at, at three years 18. Um, I think they, they – as much as fans would hate it and, it and it would suck for locker room purposes, Amir Johnson probably would make more sense to go because he's expiring. Um, I don't think the Raptors plan to be major players at, with their salary cap space this summer. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, a Draymond Green or a Paul Millsaps in their eyes and then unloading Patterson's salary would make sense. Um, but I don't think he's untouchable by any means if the right deal presented itself. I'm not sure, uh, given given the lack of, 
you know, wing shooting and wing defense you guys have right now with so many injuries, uh, I'm not sure a deal makes sense there. But I don't think he's untouchable by any means. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Blake, for that, even though it may have been sobering for what the Jazz can expect from Toronto in terms of the, the return. Uh, I still expect I, I appreciate your honesty and candor. Yeah, sorry about that. Like, uh, <laughs> Candor, was that a pun? Yes. <laughs> My well Candor. Candor. Um, yeah, sorry about that. I just, I just think it's a weird fit. Like, I, I think you guys should be able to get closer to what you're looking for for Cantor. Just Toronto just doesn't make it. It's not a need. They need, they need defense in the front court, if anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't need another scorer inside. All right. Well, thank you, Blake. We've got to move on to our next, uh, next team. But again, thanks again for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, next up is Dakota Schmidt. He's a writer for Salt City Hoops, our very own blog, yeah. as well as Wisconsin resident, former Bucks, former Bucks blogger, say that five times fast. Dakota, are you there? Um, I don't know if I, you call me former, because I've written about the Bucks this season. Maybe, okay. So maybe freelance? <laughs> Fair enough. There you okay. go. Well, Dakota, we only have about one uh, time for about one question to you, which so I'll, I'll make it quick. And we, we've talked about you with you on the show uh, in previous weeks about Milwaukee's trade situation. If you were the Milwaukee Bucks and you were looking to acquire Ennis Cantor, what would you be willing to trade away in such a deal? Um, that's a question on interesting uh, this week. I, I've been thinking about this for a while because Cantor might be a good fit for Milwaukee, but. That whole thing uh, changed around yesterday when the Bucks, uh I guess, rumors or reports were that the Bucks were going to buy out Larry Sanders. They're just one of the players um, that I might trade to you guys kind of has been defensive stopper for the Bucks with uh, Larry Sanders, uh, and that would be John Henson. Okay. And uh, I know this is going to make you smile, Andy. He's <laughs> also going to be a restricted uh, free agent. This year, um, maybe even Chris Milton, and I know that the Bucks also have a 2017 first uh, protected first round pick for uh, from OKC. So maybe I'll also throw throw that in there. So Henson, Milton, and maybe that's 2017 first round picks. All three options really hurt me, but I want to make you guys happy. So I'm. Okay, so Andy Are you offering sh- all of those things to us? Yeah, no, I think he's offering one of them plus the pick and but anyway, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say much because Andy has ex- exposed how bad of a negotiator I am. And <laughs> I, would, I would especially if Middleton was involved, I would be way too quick to jump on those deals because I I don't know about Henson. Henson I'd have to look at more. Middleton and a pick for Cantor, I would have a really hard time not just like leaping out to grab that right away. Yeah, and if you guys bring Henson, Henson, Gobert, Favors, there's not a better defensive front court in the league than that. That's true. There wouldn't be a. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind that at all. Henson is kind of a longer term uh, Gobert replacement. I mean, and, you know, he also has, he's got one year left on his deal rather than two, so you've got a little bit more, or rather than zero, sorry. So he's got a little bit more time there. Um, you know, if it if it's Henson in a first, I still probably take it. I, I still love Chris Middleton and what he's done for the Bucks this season, though. Yeah, most definitely. All right, well, Dakota, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Um, uh, as always, your contributions to Salt City Hoops and and the radio show are are appreciated. All right, thank you, guys. Thanks so much, Dakota, and and. We are skipping the break, by the way. We're not even doing commercials because we know <laughs> you guys don't need any commercials in your lives. We've got two more teams that are coming up. Right now, we've got Andy Liu, 
He's uh, sorry. Remind me the Golden State of Mind. He's a contributor yeah, to no, I, the yeah, yeah the Golden State of Mind blog for the Golden State Warriors. Andy, are you there? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. All right. So this one's a little bit out of the blue um, because you know Golden State's not in that list of teams that have been mentioned uh, for uh, Cantor. But from what I hear, it, it is a little bit of a possibility that a trade could be made. Um, and in particular, I, I think maybe something to do with. David Lee, who's maybe, you know, you guys have one hole on your roster, which is that if Andrew Bogut is hurt, you know, that center position is pretty shallow. Um, and, and David Lee might be the only thing that you may want to get rid of there as as a salary uh, dump a little bit for next season. A- am I reading the tea leaves correctly? Man, you've got, you've got to hook me up with these sources. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean, they've, They've been trying to get rid of David Lee for oh, well, I shouldn't say get rid. Uh, Joe Lacob's pretty much favorite person on the team is David Lee, and David Lee is the type of guy to to always be the owner's best friend, be it Chris Cohen or whoever it was. So he's the love figure in the locker room by pretty much everyone. Um, I think they do want to trade him because they have to re-sign Draymond Green uh, next season, uh, and he'll likely command the max. I believe there was a story out there today that the Pistons might offer him a huge offer sheet. So the, the problem with trading David Lee, though, is teams don't want him for him. They want him for the picks that are involved. See, um, like, you guys got Andres Bidrins and Richard Jefferson, but right. that wasn't what you guys wanted. You guys wanted the unprotected first-round picks that you guys were able to get. Right. And I think with David Lee, it's what are the Warriors willing to give up? Uh, they have, I believe they have a 2015 and 2016 pick, and the 2017 is going to you guys. Um, so they can trade only the 2015. And I think they might be willing to do that, but I think they're, I think they're fine either way. I gotta, I gotta jump in briefly just because to register my own slight dubiousness that I think this would be a potential option only be in part because well, first of all I don't like David Lee's long-term money that's that next year as well he's over 15 million dollars next year but as far as the money goes I just tried that trade in the trade machine the Jazz would have to send a lot more salary out to make yeah, that happen, which it, they could I'm not saying they couldn't do that they absolutely could I'm just not sure I don't I'm not I don't know that I see the construct of that working where the Jazz are getting the value back that they need. It, it would have to be a three-team deal, and I guess that's why I'm going to ask you, uh, is if you if you are looking for a kind of a, a Bogut, not replacement, but insurance, um, what kind of big men are you looking for as in that role for your team? I think, yeah, that, that's an interesting one, because that's come up a lot, because um, Bogut's the kind of guy that just is never, he, doesn't, he will never admit he's injury prone, he gets pretty pissed about it especially in interviews and stuff, if you even dare bring it up. So he's really not, he's really sensitive about it, but he is. He's injury prone. And you just never know if he'll get hurt right before the playoffs or during the playoffs. And I think for the Warriors, they're, they're content, I think, playing Maurice Spates at the five, and they have Festus Zilli coming back as well. But I'd, so I think there's a kind of a weird thing where they have too many players, but the players aren't really good enough to where they're comfortable uh, playing them in huge playoff spots. Now, if we're talking about teams that they could trade with, the Miami Heat have Chris Anderson. Uh, I think he's a target for the Warriors. Um, not sure if they've been talking to him or not, but I think guys like I know Larry Sanders has been brought up. I don't think he fits the locker room. He's kind of going through his own stuff. Um, 
Amari looks like he's going to sign somewhere else. I didn't think the Warriors were interested a little bit. But I, I think they're kind of more content looking for wing help at this point, which is, which is weird because they don't, it seems like they, don't have, they have enough shooting, right? Uh, but if you look at it on a roster point of view, they only really have Clay and Curry who are above average two-point shooters. Okay. So I think they're kind of looking, maybe they, I know they really want Ray Allen. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to work. Uh, this, a couple weeks ago, somebody said, I think a report came out that he he wanted to sign with the Warriors, but only if he could play crunch time minutes. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> not sure. I'm not sure he wouldn't play crunch time minutes. Most likely not. But yeah, so, yeah. Uh, wing out would be nice. I think those two things are big, and I think the Warriors are just really content just standing still at this point. Yeah, I mean, you can't blame them based on the record that you guys have thus far. Um, I, I am curious, maybe about. Kendrick Perkins, we talked with Oklahoma City writer earlier, John Hamm, um, is maybe a possible guy who would fill that kind of center slot, playoff tested, et cetera. Um, but, you know, maybe in a three-team deal that would work. I, I, I'm just kind of imagining scenarios here of, of how this could maybe play out. Yeah, I, I know no, most people are, are not a Kendrick Perkins fan. <laughs> yeah. But, but the Warriors are filled with a team pretty bad. I mean, Spates and Lee are pretty awful screeners. And hmm. if there's one thing if there's one thing that Kendrick Perkins is above average at, it's setting screens that pretty much destroy people. That is the one thing. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point. That would be interesting how well the offense would work with Kendrick Perkins as a screener there. Yeah, that would yeah, that would be fun, I guess. For I mean, he offers he's like the opposite of David Lee. Right. Happen. Yeah, that fans here are pretty much sick of David Lee, so <laughs> Maybe they could get the other side of the spectrum. That That's a good point. All right, well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing yeah. the Golden State perspective. I uh, appreciate it. You can check out your work at goldenstateofmind.com, correct? Uh, yep. Yeah. Do you guys have a second before I go? Yeah. Um, wanted to throw in that I love Gordon Hayward. <laughs> uh, for the season, I thought he was a better player than Clay Thompson. I and, I saw right, you say that on Twitter. It's, it was yeah, so it made me so happy. I know, and at this point, and this, this end of the stretch here, this end of the season here, because Gordon Hayward's blowing up again, and he's he's awesome. I love him. His hair is ridiculous, but um, <laughs> so it's going to be fun to see who's the better player at the end of the season. I'm, I I don't know. It's going right. to be great, though. I love watching him. This is why the NBA needs a one-on-one contest during All Star Weekend is to settle <laughs> debates just like this one. All right, uh, thank okay. you, Andy. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. All right, and then our last blogger is uh, Sacramento Kings writer James Ham. He's a senior editor of Cowbell Kingdom, the ESPN True Loop affiliate for the Sacramento Kings. James, are you there? Oh, I'm here. Yep. All right, so you're you're the last one, number seven on our list of of trade talks. Um, and, and the Kings are a little bit of an interesting one because they do have pieces that might fit in sort of a deal. Jason Thompson's asked for a trade. Uh, Nick Stauskas is a young guy who might fit. Is you know. First of all, what's your interest in acquiring someone like Ennis Cantor? And then secondly, would you be willing to give up some of those pieces for an Ennis Cantor on your team? Yeah, I think the Kings would would be willing to to take it, you know, sort of kick the tires on Cantor. I know he's he's always been a sort of an impressive prospect. You just really know all the way what he is yet, and I think that's a little bit scary especially you know, he's been in the league a few years. Uh, he's 22 years old. I think the Kings are more, more of a stretch for a guy who can can bring it out a little bit further than Cantor can. Um, but, you know, they're looking for anything to, to put alongside DeMarcus Cousins that's different from Jason Thompson. And it's not a – I don't think it's a knock on Jason Thompson as much as it is a knock on DeMarcus Cousins and Jason Thompson as a pairing. Okay. 
is is that an offer that you would consider? I guess tell me what what you'd be willing to give up in order to make that sort of experiment happen. Well, I, I think the Kings would definitely be willing to to look at Thompson or or Carl Landry or you know maybe dump a, another bad contract on the Utah Jazz. <laughs> uh, but when you're a team like the Sacramento Kings and you have so many holes, I, you know it's tough. Uh, they Thompson's under contract next year for. Over six and a half million. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following season, there's a buyout at two and a half million they could walk away from, uh, but that's when the salary cap explodes. And so Jason Thompson might be an extremely valuable piece at that point. Um, it really depends. If you're looking for a guy who can kind of a jack of all trades, uh, Jason Thompson's a good fit. Not a great shot blocker, but a really, really strong defensive player. He's been really. Stauskas is a, is a really interesting prospect. Fits the Utah mold of first-round picks who come in take longer to develop than you hoped, and I think that maybe he works there uh, alongside Gordon Hayward and you know some of the other guards that you have. He can really shoot it, except for he can't shoot it at the pro level yet, and that's really <laughs> yeah. kind of surprising to most people. Yeah, yeah. He's not really strong enough to get separation, and uh, but he can handle. He can really pass. He's got a lot of excitement in his game. It just hasn't really developed so far in this season. The thing that I worry about in general with a potential Sacramento swap is that the Jazz, we saw the reports today that the Jazz would potentially like a pick included in this deal, and Sacramento is just really tied up as far as those go. You owe a number of picks over the next few years, including potentially a first-rounder this year, although it's top-10 protected. We don't know if it's going to get there, so on and so forth. Um my thought with the fact that I'm considering it unlikely that a pick moves in that deal, or at least a pick the Jazz are really going to want, is would would you potentially, if the Jazz are taking on one of those contracts like a Jason Thompson or a Carl Landry, be willing to think about including a Ben McLemore in the deal? Because I think McLemore is a more known commodity right now than, than someone like Stauskas. Would you think they'd maybe take that step up considering that they can't really offer the Jazz a, a, a pick they'd want? I don't think they would do it for Cantor. I just think he's the wrong player. I think that we could probably work a deal out between these two teams that would make sense. I mean, clearly the Kings need three-point shooting. They need uh, guys who can pass, which they don't have at all. They need guys that can run in a George Carl system after he was hired today. Ben McLemore, I don't want to say he's untouchable, but I think the the Kings will only pull McLemore out in a deal that lands them established really good players, not all-star players, but, you know, I could see them working a deal with with maybe Denver where McLemore is thrown in on a much bigger package, uh, but only as, like, really the big-time sweetener because he does have a tremendous amount of upside. You know, but early in the season, I'll be honest with you, the Kings liked the potential of Stauskas a lot more than they liked the potential of McLemore. Stauskas hmm. has really high-end like skills. He's got uh, elite NBA shooting skill. He's got above-average, uh, well, I mean, shot blocking for a, for a two-guard, but uh, ball handling, passing skills. Um, his defensive skills are not as bad as some people think, where McLemore, the, his only elite skill is athleticism, and everything else is sort of trying to bring up to an NBA level, especially his ability to handle the ball, his his passing ability is is not great. He's not a great rebounder. His steal numbers are shockingly low for a guy who is as quick and athletic. 
Um, so they're watching him develop, and he's become a better player, and he's doing all these things. But still, if you look at McLemore, I think his PER is right around 10. It's shockingly low for how good he actually looks when he's on the court. And even saying that, Utah would have to come with something that made a lot of sense for the Kings to get rid of him. And that would probably include, like, if you had a veteran shooter to throw in on top of a deal. We got uh, Steve Novak. To give them some more space. Steve oh, Novak. there you go. Yeah. Steve Novak. All right, there. so Cantor, Cantor and Steve Novak for Macklemore and, I don't know, does Jason Thompson do those salaries work? Uh, hold on, I can check. <laughs> Probably not. I, I do. Yeah, and you're right. The the Kings don't have a first round pick until like health freezes over. I mean, it's horrible. Maybe taking on Derek so, Williams' salary. Well, Derek Williams is an expiring contract. The Kings right. would more okay. likely be hoping to pass on Thompson or uh, Carl Landry. And see, Carl Landry is a guy that might be able to really help Derek Favors learn some patience. Might be able to help Rudy Gobert. You know, learn a few things in the post. So, an interesting matchup there. That would be that would be a little different. I could see that working. You're a, uh, you're a skilled salesman, sir, but you are. I, you're also not giving us all that much of what we want here. By the way, Thompson and Mclemore does work for Cantor and Novak. Just so just so it's out there. I don't know if both if either side would really be that interested in that trade. But if they were, that trade does work. Yeah, I, I doubt that would really make the jump. But you never know. They're looking for splash. And they're looking to make a big statement with Carl now in tow, uh, and they've you know they've squandered all of this time trying to finalize a deal with George Carl as opposed to doing what you guys are doing, shopping for trades. Yeah, and and firing Ty Corbin. Now now we both have shared that. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, James, for joining us. I really appreciate your insight on the King situation. And even though I don't know that we you're our favorite deal, we appreciate the honesty. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. <laughs> All right. Thanks, James. All right. Well, we I, I think we have to take a break, given that this is the longest segment in Salt City Hoops history. But let's go ahead and do that, and then let's talk about the offers and everything we received on the other side. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right. Welcome back into the show. So, first of all, thanks again for listening to that half-hour-long segment on what the Jazz could get for Ernest Cantor. I, I thought that was really fun, though, to go around the league great. like that. Like, you know, the the GMs have longer conversations than that because, you know, we had to cut off some of these guys to be able to move on to the next team. Yeah. Luckily, the deadline period is not just half an hour long. But that being said, you know, it, it shows you just how teams are thinking and, and maybe they don't want to give as much for Ernest Cantor as, as Jazz fans would like to see. Yeah, you know, I thought, and and thank you so much, by the way, to all of our guests for being to putting up with our sort of our rapid fire format. There, we didn't really have a chance to go too much back and forth with anybody, but I think we got some really intriguing offers within there that I, yeah, you've ex- exposed you me kept, as a terrible negotiator. Yeah, that you kept but, accepting, like yes, I'm like no, well, we I need to at least wait until the end of this five minutes. I like, wouldn't do that in the actual negotiation <laughs> room if I was actually a general manager. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, I think the I'll read I guess the four real offers that I think the Jazz got there because I, I think Sacramento didn't end up 
and offering anything. It's kind of unrealistic. Yeah, uh, and Golden State, it's kind of a weird situation because it it would have to be probably a three-team deal in mm-hmm. order to make that work out. Um, and then Oklahoma City, we or sorry, Toronto said that they wouldn't even give us a first-round pick. They won't give Terrence Ross. I, I mean, I, I think that's kind of a, a, a done deal, at least from Blake Murphy's perspective, the, the Toronto representative there. So, yep. um so we've kind of got four teams left. We've got Boston offered Brandon Bass and the Clippers' first-round pick. That's this year. That's unguaranteed. So, um, you know, the Clippers are going to make the playoffs, so it'll be a 20th or so pick, probably 24th or so. But, um, you know, it's something. Yeah. And Brandon Bass uh, is is a nice player who is paid is a free agent at the end of next season. So, so, so it kind of lets you dump him and, and get a first back. Yeah. Uh, Miles Plumley and Gerald Green was offered from the Phoenix Suns in return for Ennis Cantor. That one's fun. Uh, Gerald Green's expiring. Miles Plumley has got another year left, um, plus the qualifying offer. So again, maybe someone that the Jazz could take on longer term could full, could fill Ennis Cantor's position at least, um, if maybe not his production. And I, but I do think at the same time he'd be far more comfortable being as the clear cut third big. Whereas I hmm. think it's pretty obvious at this point that Ennis is not comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> Ennis has indeed made a trade request because he is so uncomfortable with being the third big. Yep. Uh, no, but I, I think that's a good offer. Um, Oklahoma City, you know, we never got like a final offer there, but they were interested in Trey Burke as maybe a uh, piece that they could get back if they gave up Reggie Jackson. And so maybe that has to be a three-team deal. Uh, but that would be Trey Burke and Ennis Cantor for... Jeremy Lamb, Tiwer Place, and Reggie Jackson maybe mm-hmm. going somewhere else. You know, again, kind of difficult to do the machinations there. But uh, what do you think about that offer just kind of in a vacuum? Um, you know, I think it's, you, it, like we say, they may have to get a third team involved there. And I and like we talked about earlier on the show, I don't think the Jazz are doing something for Trey Burke unless it's they're kind of not being blown away, but definitely increasing their value at that position, which I'm not sure whether that does. My opinions on Jackson are, are quite known and clear. Um, I, I don't know that I'd have to see, you know, we'd have, like we said, we didn't get a specific offer and I'd have to see the exact specifics to know if I'd go for it or not. But I do think the Jazz need a higher value threshold out of something and potentially involving Trey than something and potentially involving cancer. Yeah. I also just don't know that much about Tibor place. Like I do about Alex Sabrinas. And yeah, I think I he's either. someone who fits more in the longer term, uh, scheme of things for the jazz and then place does, uh, it, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if such a deal were to be done, what that would have to look like. Yeah. Cause I, I, I think Abrinas would be a nice fit. If, if you haven't checked out Alex Abrinas on FC Barcelona, go watch some YouTube clips, watch some draft express stuff. He's, he's he a good shoot. player. Shoot guy can shoot. Yeah. Um, and then Milwaukee's, uh, I, I think this was Dakota's irrational exuberance a little bit here. Little. Um, but some, some combination of John Henson, uh, Chris Middleton and a first round pick. I, I, I think, I like all of those pieces, and I think I might take any one of them for Ennis Cantor. Yeah, like I, I, I would have a really hard time saying no for Middleton straight up if that, if that was the. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that would work salary wise. Yeah, uh, it would. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. No, it would not. Oh, it well, wouldn't. maybe I don't know what how much cap space they have. Sorry, I, I just am bad at doing math while on the air. <laughs> but um, the answer is maybe. You know, you may have to throw in someone like a. I don't know. You could attach it. They've got Johnny a couple O'Brien guys at the end of their like roster that. that you could attach a piece if you had yeah. to get a million more in salary. You could definitely do that. I, I, man, I would, 
I don't know how the Bucks would be able to 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 undervalue Middleton that much. He's been so huge for them this year. He has the yeah. best defensive They're a RPM. Team. Yeah, and he's the best defensive RPM at his position in the league. Yeah, like he's like that guy can play defense, and he's shooting over forty percent from three for the second consecutive year. I think he may be a free agent target for the Jazz. Absolutely. If they- if they open up the cap space uh-huh. in order to do so. John Henson, though, I, I kind of like, you know, he's not maybe the most impactful, but he does have the length. He does have kind of that defensive ability. Y- you could put together a very long and athletic lineup amongst Favors, Gobert, and Henson. You definitely could. I worry about whether anybody's going to be able to shoot unless Derek continues expanding his range at freakish uh, speed. If but, he starts, yeah, shooting threes. Yeah, but I don't think that's happening. So Fair enough, but, I mean, the Spurs... Bigs can't that's shoot threes. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. At least they're not their starting bigs. I mean, I I think that could still work in the NBA, even though so many teams are going towards having at least one of their big players be able to shoot. Yeah. So in the end, which of those offers do you like best? I kind of think I like the Suns one the best, honestly. Yeah. I, I like p- both Plumlie. I'm Plumlie. The Plumlie. I like the, it. The Plumlie. I I like both those guys. I'm I'm a fan of sort of their potential as and and I do like I said kind of think that they that he'd be comfortable jumping in as the third big and if he earns more than that then we'll cross that bridge when they come to it. But and you know I I, I think that's that would potentially be a fair look. What about you? What was your favorite? Yeah, I, I think that's good. I, I almost maybe like the Clippers first better, even though that's it's true. just a late first. You're getting Brandon Bass, who I guess you get a look at, but then really is just an expiring contract. If the Jazz are going to let Ennis Cantor go at, in the offseason, which I think is the most likely outcome, some team is going to give him a big offer and the Jazz don't match, then you might as well get a first-round pick for it. Yeah, and It's yeah. just kind of weighing the odds of whether or not that's the most likely scenario. Yeah, definitely. And I think we have to keep that in mind, is that just... If the most likely option is losing him, you have to take what value you can get for him. Now, of course, that's a very complex calculus. Well, as we discovered today, there is a lot on the table for the Utah Jazz uh, from around the league. Uh, we'll be watching at SaltCityHoops.com and on Twitter, on the radio, etc., to figure out what the Jazz are going to be doing this trade deadline with the Ennis Cantor situation and, and you know maybe Trey Burke and other guys too. But check us all out at SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Thanks so much for listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.